Let us pray. God, our Father, we just sung about the the wonder and power of your grace in making treasures out of wretches like me and like the rest of us here this morning. And Father, today as we look to this one verse in Leviticus and then the verses in 1 Peter that remind us of the fact that we are now through Christ your holy people and we are your treasured possession, you say over all of your children, mine, you are mine. Remind us of our identity as your holy people, your treasured possessions. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, maybe you're like my family. We have a number of streaming services so that we can access them and watch movies. And one of the things I always do when I'm trying to decide which movie to watch on one of these streaming services is they they all have a little caption where you can read a synopsis of the movie. Basically, this two or three sentences, sometimes just one sentence, gives you the the storyline. And so I read those little synopsi to determine if my interest is peaked and if I want to watch this movie. So let's ask this question. Wonder if the entire Bible was a movie and we pull it up on our streaming service and it said the Bible and below it was a little caption that summarizes what this movie, the Bible, is all about. What would we write? Well, here's what I would write. The Bible is about the movement of God's love in gathering a people to himself out of sinful humanity by redeeming them through Christ and calling them to be his holy people who are to go forth and participate in his mission in the world. That would be my synopsis of the Bible movie. And that is my version of what many call the big story of the Bible or the meta-narrative of the Bible or the story, the big story that is behind every story that we read in the Bible. And so as we come to the close of this series on the book of Leviticus, I want us to focus on the big story of Leviticus, but I also want us to focus on the big story of Leviticus in that being part of the big story of the Bible itself. And if you remember back some 12 messages ago when we began Leviticus, the first message was about the big story of Leviticus. And today I want us to dive a little bit deeper into that big story in light of the big story of the Bible. So this is really a big story uh, today. And I hope you walk away with perhaps a new appreciation of what the Bible is all about. So as we've gone through the book of Leviticus, every holy place, every holy object, every sacrifice, every ritual, every priestly garment, every priestly duty, every purity law in the entire book is part of this grand vision that God set before his people in the words of the book of Leviticus. And here's the vision that we talked about 
in our first message on Leviticus that God's vision, what he wants to show in these words that he spoke through Moses to his people is that his vision is to gather a people to himself and provide a way for them to be his loyal and holy covenant people. And we see this vision of God, this big story, if you will, of the book of Leviticus reflected in one of the verses that Carl read today from Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And I think this one verse is the story of Leviticus. In fact, I would say further that this one verse reflects the big story, the meta-narrative of the entire Bible. And so to help us understand this vision that God has for his people to call them to be his loyal, holy, covenant people, providing a way for them to do that. Of course, we know the way is Christ. But to help us see that more fully, I want to go to a passage in the New Testament. And it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And so turn there with me. We'll be spending most of our time in 1 Peter today. We'll first look at the four movements of God's love in verses 9 through 10. And then we will look at the implication of these movements of God's love in verses 12 or 11 and 12. So if you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, let me read that for us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God's word is eternal. It does revive the soul and may it revive our souls uh, today. So first, the movement of God's love is to show mercy to ill-deserving sinners. Verse 10, but now you have received mercy. And here Peter reminds the people of God, really he's speaking about the people of God that is the church of Jesus Christ. He is reminding them that they are chosen by God. They are a chosen Race And so that God's people never are tempted to be prideful over the fact that they are the elect of God. Surely we've not done that. God said this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. He said this in the context of, of choosing Israel as his chosen nation. But I think the same principle reflects to God electing sinners to be redeemed. And this is what Deuteronomy 6 says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, 
out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number that any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. And the text goes on to talk about how really inferior Israel was, but yet God chose them. Why did God choose them? God chose them because he chose them. He loved them because he willed uh, to love them. In other words, there was nothing meritorious in Israel for God to choose them. There's nothing meritorious in us. In fact, we have demerits. God shouldn't choose us, but yet he chooses us because he wills to choose us. It's according to his own good pleasure. Well, my brother-in-law gave gave me some advice when Ray and I wanted to choose a dog and it's really bad advice and don't please do not take this advice in choosing a dog uh, Greg <coughs> Greg said in fact you may not want to choose a dog at all it might be really good advice but we won't go there I'm struggling with Maverick as you can tell so so Greg said hey listen when you, when you go to buy a dog choose the Choose the puppy that is the first one to run out and to jump all over you and lick you. That's what we did. And that was the worst advice anybody's ever given me. I I learned that that I want a lethargic dog. (laughs) I want a dog that doesn't cost me any trouble. So when God chose people from the litter of humanity... In eternity past, there were no choice picks. All were unlovable runts, so to speak. In fact, the people that God chose were people who were in darkness. Spiritual darkness, as we read in verse 9. They were not just sinful, they were sinners. That was their nature. And so Peter reminds God's people that they were once in the darkness of sin, uh, this state of sin of rebellion against God. They were against God. They were outside of his kingdom. They were part of the enemy's resistance against the kingdom of God. And so God redeemed them. He he chose them. He brought them out of this bondage to sin, death, and Satan. He did this by being gracious and merciful, although they were totally ill-deserving. And Paul says it like this. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This is Ephesians 1, 5 through 10 and verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on earth. God chose according to his plan, according to his will. He poured out his love on the most unlovable and redeemed them in Christ Jesus. The big story of the Bible is about the movement of God's love to redeem those who should be irredeemable, that are sinful. 
And yet God does what none of us would ever do. You know, I heard a statement the other day. I was listening to a podcast. And this individual had developed a company that was restoring broken homes in one of the most impoverished areas of his city. And he started this company because he owned one of those impoverished homes. That was his home. And he went through the process of restoring it. And so he started a company that has restored over 70 homes in this destitute, impoverished place of this city. And this is what he said. He said, what I've learned is that there's beauty in brokenness. You know, that little phrase just really captivated my attention. There's beauty in brokenness. We look at brokenness and we don't see beauty. God looks at brokenness. And he redeems and brings something beautiful out of it. And he restores it. The big story of the Bible is God's mercy to those who don't deserve it. And second, the movement of God's love makes those who are not accepted before him, who could never be pleasing to him, be both acceptable and pleasing. How do you figure that? In verse 9, he speaks about his people, those who have received so much mercy, also being a royal priesthood. And so in, in what sense are God's people priests? We we should not and must not think about this in terms of being a mediator between God and people like Aaron and the Aaronic priesthood was that we studied earlier in the book of Leviticus. And in fact, Aaron and the priests that followed him were merely types, pointers to the only mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. They pointed to Jesus as the true mediator. And so in no way are we priests like that we are priests like this we are called to be living sacrifices the priest was all about offering sacrifices and yet Paul says in Romans 12 verse 1 I think speaking out of those portions of scripture in the book of Leviticus about the priesthood. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, the movement of God's love not only pours out his mercy upon us and redeems us, out of brokenness comes something beautiful, but the movement of God's love makes that which is unacceptable acceptable, that which in no way can be allowed to go behind the veil, to actually go behind the veil in the most holy place and come before the most holy God. The movement of God's love in making royal priests radically transforms us into being acceptable and pleasing to God. And third, the movement of God's love creates a holy nation. We see this in verse 9. It speaks about a holy nation. And the word holy here is in so many places, and in much of Leviticus, speaks of being set apart, being set apart unto God. It does speak to, to moral purity as well, but in this context, it's to be 
that God has set apart a people to himself, a holy nation. And being set apart to God as a holy nation must not be understood in God calling us to withdraw from culture, to be like the Amish and the very strict Amish code is to be ye separate and to have nothing to do with the culture at large. In fact, God's call upon us to be a holy nation means we have to engage culture because being a holy nation means we are not out of the world but in the world to be salt and light. As Jesus says in chapter 5 of Matthew and verses 13 through 16, as Jesus says in John chapter 17, when he prays for his people, when he prays, Lord, uh, Father, don't take them out of the world, but defend them and give them power as they fight the good fight as my disciples in the world. And so an important part of this big story of the Bible, this meta-narrative of the Bible, is, is God redeeming sinners to participate in his work, his mission in the world in calling and redeeming other sinners and gathering them into the church. And we have a part to play in that. God's work is loving sinners, redeeming them, gathering them, building his church. And Peter says in verse 9 that we are to be a holy people who are in culture. For what purpose? Look at verse 9. To declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be as a holy nation God's ambassadors to the world. We are to be as a holy nation God's preachers to the world. We are to be as a holy nation God's evangelists to the world. Not withdrawing, but engaging, moving forward, preaching, declaring the excellencies of what God has done. Sharing our personal testimonies. I was once in darkness, but the mercies of God has brought me out of darkness and sin into his marvelous light. We're a holy nation that is in this world to engage it, not to retreat. No, hey, we are to be invaders. We are to invade the world by declaring the good news of Jesus Christ. To declare, this is what the movement of God's love has done in my life. This is the difference it has made in my life. I was once in darkness, and now by his mercies I'm out of darkness. I was one un once unacceptable to God, could not approach him. Now I'm both acceptable and can approach him. I was part of a, a nation that will fall. And by the miracle of his grace, I'm part of a nation, a holy nation, that will last forever. We need to be telling this to the world. And then fourthly, the truth about the movement of God's love is that he has gathered us into the church to be his possession. Verse 9, a people for his own possession. And not just a possession, but if we look back at Exodus 19, and we looked at that, our first message in Leviticus we remember God saying through Moses to Israel that I have bore you on eagles' wings as what? 
not just my possession, but my treasured possession. And one reason we're a treasured possession is the price that has been paid that we would be holy, the Lord's. And what is that price? Of course you know, it's the price of his own son. He gave his only son to redeem us, to ransom us, so that he could say of me, so that he could say of you, our prayer is that one day he'll say of little Katie, mine. Capital M, capital I, capital N, capital E, mine. There are many, maybe you, but I think there are many of us who struggle with our identity. It can be very, very difficult. And I, I want to acknowledge the complexity of all of the, the bumps and bruises that we have all endured in life, the hurts, the wounds. It's a very complex thing. And I do not want to oversimplify it. And I don't want to simply to be Pollyannish about it. People struggle with their identity, which I think is almost epidemic today. Within the church and without the church is a very complex and difficult thing. But though it might seem as though I'm oversimplifying things and being Pollyannish about it, (laughs) the truth of Scripture is the answer to our identity crisis, whatever might be the cause of it. And what the truth of Scripture says is that the movement of God's love has come upon us. We have been shown mercy and been brought out of darkness into this marvelous light. We have been made a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, and we are not just God's possession. We are God's treasured possession. And on you and on me, he says, mine. And brothers and sisters, our identity is that. God saying, you are mine. And in my judgment, when a person, when we, let's face it, we all struggle with our identity in one way or another. And when we finally come to grasp this reality, I believe it is the path of healing. When we consider that we, that God says, mine, you're mine. We are the objects of the movement of God's love. What is the last word of Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26? Mine. May that truth sink deeply into our hearts as we struggle with who we are. The story behind the story of Leviticus and the Bible is the movement of God's love to gather a people out of sinful humanity by redeeming them through Christ, showing them his mercy, drawing them out of darkness into his wonderful light. They're, they're his chosen. They're his beloved. They are acceptable. They are pleasing. They're living sacrifices. They're a holy nation, and they are his treasured possession.
That's the big story of the Bible. That's the big story of Leviticus. So what are the implications? Just very quickly, I want to go over the implications by looking at, at verses 11 and, and 12. And here's, here, this, this really is the implication in, in, in light of the movement of God's love and gathering us to be his. What is the implication? Here's the implication. It matters how we live. It matters how we live first and foremost in that we are called sojourners and exiles in verse 11. Look at that. In chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Peter, Peter calls us elect exiles. And what we must understand from this is that this world is not our true home. This nation is not our true nation. That is the United States of America. Our true citizenship is in heaven. Paul in Philippians 3.20 but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are separated unto God. We're holy, and we are sojourners passing through this world to our true home, heaven. And I think so many of the issues we struggle with, especially sin, is because we're too attached to this world, and we don't realize that our true home is in heaven, and we need to be living for heaven today. Secondly, it matters how we live because we're citizens of heaven. And because of that, we must abstain, Peter says, from the passions of the flesh also in verse 11. These passions of the flesh, I believe, represent the values of this fallen world. And Peter uses a very strong word here in verse 11 where he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. In other words, he's not suggesting that we abstain he's urging he's pleading it is as if peter is running into a building that is on fire and pleading with everybody in the strongest way he can to flee the building so peter here is urging us pleading with us to abstain from the values of the world the fleshly passions that represent the unredeemed fallen value system and thirdly as elect exiles in this fallen world we must understand these passions are waging war against your soul also in verse 11 now we're at war with the values of the world there are Enemies from without, those external enemies that are always pressing in on us, trying to get us to turn from God's value system and embrace the worldly value systems. But I suggest to you that the greater struggle is the enemy within. The passions, the fleshly passions within our own heart, within our own souls. And Peter uses the word flesh here, fleshly passions, the same way Paul uses them in Ephesians 2 and verse 3, referring to the sinful nature. Now, we are redeemed, we're brought out of darkness into the light, Uh, we're, we're brought out of bondage to sin, we have a new nature, but the remnant, the stain of that old sin nature still plagues us. The stench, as it were, might still be smelled in our hearts if we could ever do that. And there are many scriptures to show this. Leviticus chapter 18 that we looked at just in, in 
really just one snippet as we looked at homosexuality last week, but if you just read Leviticus chapter 18, there are just all manner of sexual immoral practices that are prohibited. Why? Because they are consistent with the values of this fallen world. They are passions of the flesh that are contrary to God's holiness. And God, through Moses and Leviticus 18, prohibits them and we're to flee from them. And Peter's saying the same thing here. God's holy people are to be warriors. We are in a fight. And we are to fight against these passions of the flesh externally to us as they come upon us. But my experience has been the greatest battle is within my own heart. And Peter calls us to be holy warriors. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. If we go back to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 23 that Carl read earlier, we would see God, we, we see God saying through Moses there that, listen, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to give you a land, but you are not to follow the ways of the nations there. In fact, I'm going to drive them out. You are my holy people. You are not to walk in their ways. First Peter 2 says the same thing. Ephesians 4 says the same thing. We are called to fight and abstain from passions. And fourth, as God's holy people, we keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That is to say, we live holy lives. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Our our lives are about us, but it's about more. Our lives and our pursuit of holiness is first and foremost about living for God's glory. That the unredeemed world, the pagan world, the unchristian world, even the evildoers that are trying to bring about our undoing might see our holy lives and actually glorify God. And see, the wonderful thing about this this meta-narrative, this big picture of the Bible, is that God calls us to participate in his work in this world, that we are to declare the excellencies of his mercies. But here in verse 12, we are called to live out the values of God's kingdom to show forth his glory. So in both word and deed, we participate in God's mission in the world as his holy people. The book of Leviticus and the Bible are not movies, but like movies, there is a big story. There is the movement of God's love in gathering uh, people to himself out of sinful humanity by 
by redeeming them in Christ Jesus and calling them to be his holy people, his treasured possessions, so that they may go forth in word and deed and participate in his mission in the world in gathering other sinners to himself. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your word is sufficient. I thank you that you call us to be your holy people. I thank you that we're so encouraged with this truth of in Christ Jesus we are your treasured possession. And now, O Lord, I would ask you to continue to work in us that we might fight to be holy and so participate in your kingdom work even in this fallen world today. Father, I I think too often, and maybe it's just me, that I have such a low view of your grace. I have such a deficient view of the movement of your love that we see here in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And I pray for me and for us that you would shake us out of that complacency just to see the powerful movement of your love to gather a people and to call them holy and to say over them, mine. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.